Welcome to Stigma Shakers Podcast. I am your host, Ali Hensley, author, speaker, and stigma shaker of the best kind. This podcast is all about shaking and breaking up taboo into digestible chunks, which we like to call our social smoothie. In this podcast, I will ask the difficult questions that can be hard to digest because everyone deserves a little balance in their mental health diet. And let's face it, folks, the only thing normal in this world is different. So my question to you, can we make truth the next biggest trend? Today joining me is the fiercely impressive Sean Cypherwall. Cypher, who identifies as he, him, his, is a black queer intersex activist and rising scholar. Born and raised in the Bronx, Cypher attended Williams College and has since lived and worked in New York City, the San Francisco Bay Area and Atlanta, Georgia. He is a Mary Sigloska Curie Fellow at the University of Huddersfield in England, examining the erasure of intersex people from social policy in Ireland and England. As an activist, Cypher is committed to racial equity and a radical vision of bodily autonomy for people with intersex variations. He made history by confronting the surgeon on ABC News Nightline, who performed his gonadectomy at the age of 13. Above all else, Cypher is determined to end harmful and evasive genital surgery on intersex children and advocate for affirming healthcare for all people with intersex variations. Well, welcome to Cypher. It's so incredible to have you on the Stigma Shakers podcast. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. We've actually, Cypher and I have, we've probably had about three or four conversations maybe in the last couple of years because we work in the same sphere as advocates. And so we're we're learning a lot off each other and hopefully this podcast will take the next step in destigmatizing something that is so incredibly important to destigmatize, and that's right. the beautiful, wonderful world of what you're doing for intersex activism and advocacy. Of course, congratulations on the film that is premier. Is it going to premiere tomorrow, which is every is Everybody? Beautiful name. Uh, yes, the film is um, Everybody by Julie Cohen, um, who yeah. directed uh, RBG and My Name is Paulie Murray and a couple other mm. films I can't think of off my off the top of my head. Oh no, yeah, she's a, she's a name, and um, I've obviously just seen the tr- like the trailers and the clips on socials, and it's yeah. so incredibly moving. And I'm not just saying that because I'm hugely biased, but it's so yeah. incredibly moving, beautifully curated, and I can't wait to see like congratulations obviously Mm -hmm. having conversations you know around stigma can be a lot right um so to ease our guests and listeners into this pod chat i just like to ask a few kind of loosening up questions if you don't mind before we dive dive in but if you can just please just in a little we're gonna dive in well dive in but if you can just do like a not a quick summary because i don't i don't know if there is a quick answer but your definition of the term intersex. Right. Um, 
You know, for me, when I think of intersex, I think of um, sex characteristics that everyone has. You know, I think there's an assumption that, you know, intersex people have cornered the market on sex characteristics and we all actually have sex characteristics. So when I talk about sex characteristics, I'm talking about hormones, chromosomes, uh, reproductive organs, both internal and external, um, that are considered by the medical establishment to be atypical for males and females. Why do you believe intersex? And this is such a very hard question probably to answer. Why is it so stigmatized? Why is it why does it remain so hard to convey its truth to society, to medicine? I guess if you knew all those <laughs> like yeah, why like <laughs> how many podcasts are you willing to commit to this question, Allie? As many <laughs> as it takes. Uh! Oh man. Um, whoo. Wow. Where do you start? Um, I mean, that, I think this is like a huge question, right? Because I think so much of, you know, who we are as people with intersex variations, you know, so much, so much of it is shrouded in secrecy and silence and stigma. Um, because I think our embodiment defies um, social expectations of what a woman or a man or a male or a female is supposed to be. Um, it's, I think we are all, we, I think we've all have internalized and believed, um, this myth of gender, right? Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think for people whose bodies do not conform to, these very rigid ideas of gender, um, it creates a position where people um, have to lie, they feel shame about who they are. um, And that doesn't, you know, help anyone. Right. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I'm incredibly aware that as someone who advocates also for rare unique somewhat i don't know how you feel about the word if you want to put it as taboo but i think it would be safe to say that in some ways i would never ask you to completely divulge your body to us to me right now however if you can however please do (laughs) however please tell us everything you know no but what what in terms of it's In terms of its physical characteristics, I do believe that it's still massively unknown and massively confusing for a lot of people that may not, is it ignorant? Is it that they don't want to know? Is it that they don't feel that they can ask? But physically, and I know there's 30 variations and it's a huge spectrum, but it's main characteristics, if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on the person. Because I think even within sort of like intersex variations, there's just so much uh, diversity uh, within characteristics. Um, So I think there's an assumption that people uh, with intersex variations, there's a huge misconception that people have both, right? Um, Both Mm -hmm. genitals, both reproductive organs. And I think that's what contributes to the stigma. um, Because I think also... 
you know, there's an issue around privacy where people feel like, you know, this is my personal medical business that I don't have to tell anyone, which is people are entitled to privacy, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, I think because of the sort of like misconception, I think it sort of um, really erases and belies um, how unique and how different sort of like intersex bodies are, right? So, so there may be people uh, who have who have sort of cystic ovaries, right? There may mm -hmm. be people who have periods, who, you know, have what's considered typical female development and may grow beards. Um, there may be, you know, people with penises where the urethra is located closer toward the scrotum, right? Um, so I think it's just really, there's just so much variation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're just so used to sort of typecast, typecasting sort of like men and women in certain ways. But, you know, both you and I know, like if you've been sexual with more than one person <laughs> in your lifetime, you would know that there's just so much variation in bodies. Yeah, right. It is that. And I love the way that you used, and not, not you know, the word typical, because I absolutely have a huge dislike to the word normal. Like it's almost become something that I'm becoming an advocate just for that simple word. So in terms of, okay, so the difference immediately between Cypher and I, myself, is that I'm XX chromosome, right? And you're XY chromosome. And so we both have experienced in the development, in gestation, a gene mutation. I don't know. Um, for those who don't necessarily know what AIS is, it's actually quite a common intersex medical terminology, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something about... Um... You know, I, I, I think I'm curious about your use of the word mutation, right? Um, because, yeah, I, I think it's, for me, I kind of like, mutation kind of makes the assumption that there's a default normal. And so if it's not normal, then it's a mutation, right? But, you know, the way I like to think about it is it's like everyone starts off intersex. Everyone, right. everyone, everyone. Right. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I shared that in podcast the other day. Actually, I should probably repeat it right now because everyone before, even when they're the embryo and you, you know, you're assigned your sex and blah blah blah, we're still at that point. Right. No difference. Totally. Yeah. And then sex differentiation happens, um, and you know, again, sex differentiation happens along a spectrum, right? Um, and so with my particular trait, um, it affects children with who are, you know, XY um, fetuses. And essentially, it's, it really depends on a person's sort of response to testosterone. So you have complete AIS where the children, um, when they're born, they look phenotypically female. And I put that in quotes. And then mm. it's a range all the way to mild androgenous sensitivity syndrome where um, the children look phenotypically male um, but may have issues with fertility. Um, okay. And then because it's a spectrum, then you have sort of gradients in the middle and my body falls somewhere along the middle. 
Um, so for me, um, because of having sort of atypical genitals um, at birth, people couldn't necessarily, the doctors, the attending doctors, um, couldn't really determine um, my sex initially, and then they marked female. Right. And there the issue begins, right? <laughs> so that's what, and, and I know that, you know, yourself and your fellow activists really advocate for the unnecessary <laughs> surgeries. Do I feel like I'm really right. being PC? I'm trying to walk, you know, like I'm, I'll just say it to our listeners, I'm trying to walk a really, a really good line here because my impartial, totally. you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's sensitive and especially within the community of, of MRKH, we'll get to, we'll get, to, I said, we'll get to that, but I like the way <laughs> that, you know, and you really do pick me up. Like you're right. The word mutation would suggest that something is wrong, but it does go potentially, is it going against what we know as science to be typical or is it nature's way and therefore difference mm. is normal? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that we have to really examine science, right? Because I think we often accept science as something that's just objective, purely facts, purely analytical, and it's not, right? Because at one time, there was science to say um, that women, that women who had enlarged clitorises had to um, be subject to clitorectomies, um, to curb masturbation, to curb lesbianism, and to address hysteria. That was part of medicine. That was part of science. Um, to suggest that is nowadays is just absurd, but that was actually a part of science. Um, so I think we really need to question um, what is science and what is, but more importantly, what is the foundation of science? you're assigned female at birth correct then then at 13 you had a surgery can you tell us a bit about that because something really amazing happened for you with that past trauma oh yeah <laughs> um, it was in your bio so, amazing mm. oh yeah just yeah i was i was yeah. very fortunate to be able to um do that but which we'll probably talk about later but you know i mean so I was fortunate in that, um, you know, the, the protocol at the time for children with AIS who were assigned female was that essentially the testes were referred to as gonads. The gonads would be removed at birth um, and then the child would be raised as female and then eventually put on feminizing hormones like estrogen and progesterone. Um, so my mom decided against early intervention. Um, so I grew up with um, my testicles. Like I l literally have somatic memories of being able to feel my testicles because they were undescended, right? So they kind of rested in my lower abdomen. Um, and I think having that memory is like really intense um, because it's it's not something that happened before I could feel or know what it was to have, you know, them in my body, but I knew what it was to have them in my body. So because, you know, testicles are meant to live in a scrotum, um, 
I definitely experienced some pain um, because they were undescended. I most likely had hernias, I believe. Um, and when my mom took me to the pediatrician when I was probably around 12, um, 12 and a half, um, this was back at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York City. Um, you know, the endocrinologist at the time um, made the recommendation that um, my testes be removed. Um, so essentially, I was castrated. Um, and shortly after, I was put on uh, feminizing hormones, um, which, like I have said many times, have feminized my face and body, um, effects that I still live with today. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, it makes me feel rage. It makes me feel rage. Um, it makes me feel grief and sadness, um, for the young person who was, did not know was what was happening, um, was not offered informed consent, thorough informed consent, um, for the lies that were told to my mother and to me. Um, so yeah, I feel rage and I feel grief and I believe both of those feelings can coexist at the same time. <clears throat> I've actually got a little lump in my throat, to be honest with you. Um, it, that sounds barbaric and, and really it does sound barbaric and I'm, oh, do you want to hear like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> a friend of mine, like, do you want, I mean, I want to <laughs> say that like but some people like, I don't want to. <laughs> Well, I think if it was anyone else, I would be like, meh, but because it's from you as someone who also has an intersex variation, like it hits a little different. You know what I'm saying? Do you find it when people say that to you, if it wasn't say me, if people are trying to maybe find a link of connection stroke, do you want people to feel the, the sympathy or does, do you find that even more hard to kind of process. Like you don't know what your sympathy is about. You can't empathize with this. No, I mean, I think, you know, people have different experiences, right? Like I think people who have been subject to sexual assault, um, people who have experienced medical violence themselves. Um, I think this is an issue of um, violence. This is an issue of, you know, trespass. Um, so I do feel like, although people may not have the same experience, I do people, I do feel that people can relate to violation. There is a massive amount of overlap that I've decided, <laughs> that I've decided to exist. And it's only in the last few years where I have become more comfortable in who I am to be able to mm. kind of like any kind of judgments, assumptions, stereotypes, because I'm so, I, I've become more okay with that now right. and I'm older and I'm not so affected necessarily by fitting in a box and, um, right. or a drop down menu that doesn't exist. Mm. But in terms of, I guess, after that surgery, how did you, how did you get from that surgery? And there's a lot of time and facts and experiences here. Sorry, loaded question to where you are today. What was the, was there a turning point? Was, was there like, fuck this? Like, this is not, I can't do this. 
Yeah, you know, I feel like what was sort of life-saving to me um, was, you know, in 2000, so in 2004, I started my um, sort of medical transition. So I started taking testosterone and it wasn't doing the same thing for me as it does for, you know, other people who are female to male trans. Um, but I think what was sort of life affirming was sort of meeting this person, Jim, um, who had a similar story to me, except that he was like a white guy from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you Jim. know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, he had been assigned female at birth and, you know, he was mutilated as a young person and, you know, I say all this because his story is public as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were both, we both had surgery, um, top surgery, which is sort of the removal of our breasts um, with the same surgeon. And I think we started tea testosterone within like six months of each other and you know i think it did different things for him than it did for me right but sort of meeting him was really life affirming um and you know i i haven't talked about it a lot um but i think for me because of being misgendered a lot um like, I think I really, I think it really just devastated me. And, you know, I definitely, I didn't, I don't think I had suicidal ideation, but I definitely was like, well, what if I just am not here anymore, you know? And I think, like, for me, you know, I think the turning point was, I was like, well, if I killed myself, no one would know my story. No one would know what had happened to me. No one would know anything. And then I was like, I need to push back. I need to fight back. And I also need to ensure that this doesn't happen to anyone. Like that I will use my voice and my experience to make sure that no child has to experience the violation that I have. That's an inc- that is an incredible use of pain and rage and anger. And whilst I'm not quite sure, as you say, sometimes if that ever goes, it can lessen for sure, for sure, and grief. You know, there's a it, right. the whole grief that surrounds, I was going to say development of sexual disorders then, and that's a term we'll come on to in a second, but I don't, I don't use that term. I do not, because <laughs> um, you say disorder, you say it's wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, and I think as you say, I, <laughs> and I'm trying so hard, <laughs> not so hard, this is natural. You know, but. I just don't want to put you my foot in it. Real, I know, I know. You know, I think. I just want to. I just want to be sensitive and really, truly honor, you know, everybody because there are so many different experiences. Right. And I think when you're given an opportunity to have a platform, use it wisely. <laughs> be right. careful with that. And so, yeah, talking right. about the grief and um, 
how you have, you know, I don't know if this, this could potentially sound a bit sanctimonious, but I'm not sure sometimes if ac- advocacy activism finds us because it's really odd, right? Like mm, you, I was in right. search for, I was in search for a support group because I'd spent 20 years and I've thought a lot about this recently as well in a body mm. that didn't fit the word that I was supposed to live by. And mm. I don't know whether it's sort of like almost, this is probably the first time I've said it out loud actually, but there felt like a bit of a gender dysmorphia in me because mm. I had to, for those of you who have not listened about this before, a condition called MRKH, which stands for Mayor rokotansky Kalsterhauser syndrome, affects one in 5,000 females. Can you like hmm. sounds just reeling it off the tongue, and it's characterized. Ooh, that's a mouthful. <laughs> it's the most unglamorous. But then isn't anything like not unglamorous, but it's like MRKH, and it's like that's not very interesting. But it's characterized hmm. by the underdevelopment of the uterus, cervix, and vaginal canal. So people with MRKH two are on a spectrum. Of some have uterus remnants, some have like we have ovaries some have no vagina which is like a dimple and some have some and then externally typical of a female and for me i had to make my own vaginal canal at the age of 16 and i did consent and i wasn't forced into that but i think when you're a child um being awake i guess and and forcing objects into your body to stretch a vagina and it's not like a it's not like a cocoon down there it's mass it's muscle mass and you know i always say mm. when your knuckles turn white was what the nurse said to me you're doing it correctly and so for me i always Ooh. linked sort of i've taught I've sort of this is my thing i linked progress with pain love intimacy with pain and i look like you're going to ask a question <laughs> i do i need to ask you a question go for it well, I mean, how does, I mean, I know you told your story many times and you're used to telling your story, but it's just like what you described to me sounds atrocious, right? Especially for a young woman to be subjected to, even if you were doing it to yourself. And so, I, you know, I'm wondering, it's just like, have you ever felt the weight of your words? Well, for 20 years, I was in denial and the weight of my words represented itself in huge destructive behavior. That was, that was the, that was the weight and the pain of the situation. It's almost like trying to find a crevice to kind of the pain to come out. And because I didn't have the skills or emotional intelligence or the being able to articulate, I feel, I do feel that I was in control of that decision. And I feel that mm-hmm. no, it's a hard one because I was, I truly was very cared for. I, and I've no, I don't have mm-hmm. any, I don't have any malice towards the team. My only thing that I continue to say is that psychological assessment, I believe must be a part of that process when delivering options for vaginal lengthening, whether it be surgical or non-surgical if i wanted to have a vagina if i wanted to have it they were my two options or 
no options at all. You don't have right. to have a vagina. You don't have to be fixed, right? We don't like that word fixed. Mm. So for me, I've always, I feel like it's not my podcast, but for me, I knew that mm. I had, I got like, you know, cause I've got these big firing ovaries. I got these big boobs and I got this waist, you know, <laughs> and I do, and our boobs annoy me because I'm just like, you don't, you're surplus to my, you're surplus to my requirement and they get in my way and they remind me, mm. they remind me of this, this picture of womanhood and sometimes I love that and sometimes mm. I'm like you're just reminding me of what my body wasn't couldn't doesn't do right in air quotes but only recently yeah have I mm. started to understand that my version of womanhood has to be completely rewritten um mm. because I didn't know what it meant to be a woman I knew that you look mm. away you I think I even once, once I knew I could never get pregnant, but I do remember doing a pregnancy test and I'm like, this is crazy, mm. but maybe they've got it wrong. Mm. Or maybe I just need to know what it feels like to pee on a mm. stick. You know, it's, mm. it's really, yeah, it's a hard, it's a but hard you know, but you know, also it just makes me think of like, you know, even though you were in control of that decision, like, mm -hmm. even though you are like, this is a decision I made for myself. It just really makes me think about how compulsive heterosexuality is, how compulsive gender normativity is, right? Because it's almost like for you to feel like feel like a woman, for you to be accepted as a woman, you have to have a vagina, right? And it has if especially if you are interested in mm -hmm. dating men, if you're interested in having sex with people with penises, then it's just like you have to have a vagina, right? And so I think it's just like, yeah, right. Like I, vagina, I think it's just all it, these pressures. Well, this this is the this is the association, and I hope that it's changing present day. But you mm. know, a vagina isn't to facilitate a penis. Some is to have penetrative sex, and that's com. Those are facts, people. Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah, those are facts. Um, <laughs> but some people want empowerment. Some people want to reclaim something. Sometimes people are doing it because they feel that that's what they should be doing. Children, I don't know. It's, I just want some, I would just like to see more of that. I mean, I think in Singapore, they actually do ask their, the people with MRKH to go through a 12 month psychological assessment before they even put close to a dilator because not everybody's mm. going to have a traumatic experience, you know, public service announcement. Not everybody does, but, um, right. Yeah. I just think, that, I just think understanding the whys behind a person having a vagina and, if they're completely 100% ready, that's something that I'd love to see across the globe. We do it okay in the UK. We do in America and Australia and the countries that I mainly have advocated in, which makes me sound a little bit, bit too westernized in that way. But we do have global MRKH, which mm. looks at the globe. Anyway, so that's my story. So it's just a little interesting about how being in a body that doesn't fit. And so how did you, how did you, um, you, so you, you obviously you took that, you took that pain, you took that anger, you took that rage, you met the beautiful Jim and now you're this incredible global activist, right? And you, you did something 
very profound on a news station. Please expand. <laughs> um, yeah, so, <clears throat> I mean, I think for me, someone asked me recently in an interview, like, how do I experience joy? And, you know, I don't really use that term joy a lot. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is that I have gratitude for being able to live long enough for things to come around. And I think one of the things that came around was sort of being presented with the opportunity to confront the surgeon who castrated me. This happened in 2014. Um, It was ABC um, News Nightline, um, a station in um, the U.S., And basically, they had approached the organization where I was board president at the time, and they were looking to do the story of someone who confronted their surgeon. And I confronted Dr. Hensel, and people can look it up. It's a really um, powerful segment, Um, but he was awful. And I think the producers were very sympathetic because I think he was very narcissistic, very unaccountable, Um, and... But I think in doing that, there was something that really shifted inside of me and something that I was able to let go. And I think in this wasn't captured on video, but basically I said to him, I was just like, for what it's worth, I was a 14-year-old girl. And you told me in front of my mother that you would shave down my clitoris and create a cavity inside of me. And literally when he said that to me, it made me sick to my stomach. And my mom looked over at me and she was like, do you want to go through with this? Because she must have saw my discomfort. And I said, no. And that was the only thing that spared me from genital surgery. And mind you, this consultation happened not too long after I was castrated. Um, And so I told him that. You know, I I was seated right across from him and I told him that and he was he couldn't say anything. He couldn't say a word, you know, and I think in that moment, like I. I sort of like took care of that 14 year old girl who was like emotionally young, who was gender non-conforming gay child um this young black girl i took care of her and i also sat across from him as a 30 something year old man and told him about what he did to that girl i'm sure you've heard the words brave a lot but I, but <laughs> that's too, like the thing is he couldn't argue with the truth you weren't saying anything that was not factual your surgeon obviously had no context or or concept i should say as you as a necessary like a person and devaluing what you truly know you to be right and thank god for your mama because 
I feel like she was an absolute advocate with you and his lack of voice in that interview or that one-sided fair argument gave you your voice and kind of did it feel like did it feel like some sort of justice or not no it did feel like justice you know because i think for me it wasn't even about his response because his response was terrible right but his response now mind you i wanted to hit him in the throat (laughs) i wanted to knock him in the throat yeah (laughs) you know but the thing is is like whether he acknowledged the pain that he caused or whether he didn't, I vindicated myself. From a societal perspective, because we're talking about stigmas and we're talking about society, like a societal kind of shift, this podcast hopefully could achieve great things but you've got to start somewhere. And I'd love to know what is, what is one of the biggest misconceptions or one of the most ludicrous things or thing or comment or, or belief system that you have had to answer or be subject to, or the intersex community have been subject to that they've had to kind of defend. I mean, I think it's one that we don't exist. You know, there's a conservative belief um, that intersex doesn't exist. Intersex variations don't exist. It's just men and women with disorders, um, which for me is. And I feel like, you know, we have been talked about, but not engaged with, you know, I feel like Often the way intersex has been depicted in media is really sensationalized, really hyped to sort of really um, kind of prop up the myth that an intersex person has both organs. Um, So I think hopefully we're entering um, increasingly a realm where, you know, we as intersex people can tell our own stories um, and not have them defined by people who don't have these variations or live with these experiences. I think it's really interesting, right, language. And that's right. and that's been something that we in the community have tried really hard to rectify, working with, working with hospitals, working with institutions, working with online medical resources, because right. words carry weight. And if you talk to don't someone, they. and you'd know this, on, in diagnosis people don't necessarily always remember like the medical terminology and the diagrams and the, the ultrasounds and the thing and the bloods and all the kind of thing. People remember that exact word that, that was imparted on them. That's what Mm, they'll remember. Right. We're not fond of the word ambiguous. We're not fond of the word fix. There is others. Like what other ones do you, do you personally, um, abnormal, abnormals in there. (laughs) <laughs> oh god <laughs> disorder like defect function but i do really want to ask you a question that i it's in the lgbti sphere but i know it's something that society's talking a lot about right which is pronouns 
We've just right, leaked, right. leaping around, but that's okay. That's okay. So yeah, that's fine. I that's was, fine. I was doing, cause you, I mean, I think your interaction with the community hopefully is kind of an authority on this topic a little bit. And I just know that the expansion of pronouns is, is huge. I was reading some research the other day that there's between, and please correct me if I'm wrong, between like 30 to 75 different pronouns that some universities now, <laughs> they have documented, like, I think right. they were told off for it, but they had, they were t- documented for it. And it's quite divisive. You know, people get that, you know, there is, people do get their backups. Why do we have to introduce another one? Why are we complicating things so much? And then you've got the other argument, which is true. Like I can identify with how I want to identify, you know? And so why do you think it's so hard for people to necessarily get their heads around pronouns? Yeah, I mean, it reminds me lately of when Elon Musk declared on Twitter that cis is a slur, right? Um, and then you have trans folks, you have other people being like, well, cis means same, trans means on the other side of, right? Um, so I think <clears throat> gender, race and gender, at least two categories that I focus on, we all have really deeply held beliefs around those two categories. Um, and I think it's backed up by years and centuries of beliefs right? To the point where we don't even know Mm. where those beliefs started. Um, So I think with gender, you know, it's almost like it reminds me of um, something my therapist said, right? Because, you know, she was talking about relationships and she was just like, you know, everything in romantic relationships can be fine, but when people feel triggered, then they default to their survival strategies, right? We're in a moment where pe- we all have literally lived through this huge trauma called COVID and the pandemic. That's still ongoing, mm-hmm. but like, you know, this has been a huge trauma and I think people's different trauma responses are really evident, right? Some people are like, COVID never happened. They were like, I'm not masking. COVID isn't real. Some people are just like... I am terrified. I will mask for the rest of my life. Other people are just like, I'm so glad this is over, right? You know, I feel like with gender, people are like, this is who I am. Don't tell me I'm not who I am. Don't tell me that I'm not a man. Don't tell me that I'm not a woman. Don't tell me that I'm not a, that I'm a birthing person. Don't tell me I'm a chest feeder. Like I am a man, I am a woman. That's the way it always has been. It's in the Bible. There's so much proof, right? And, you know, I think we're being presented with new ways of sort of thinking about how we have constructed our society, like the, the bedrock, the foundation of our society. And it triggers people's trauma responses, right? So people are just like, that's not real. Trans people, that's a phase, <laughs> you know. People are like, I hate trans people. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's a trend. Absolutely, it's a trend. It's it's fashion. No, it's not. No, 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 no. But that's. I think that, as you say, and I think people don't like change, and right. I think society needs simplicity, right. and I think society needs neatness, right? And um, anything that people don't understand and I think yeah anything that people don't understand like we we take it into a cancel 
culture is cancel culture toxic to developing understanding so you know instagram mm. pages being shut down people not right. being able to talk about sex sla right. like slamming advocacy movements right. or do you think cancel culture is actually okay like we're just gonna probably what's the word we're just gonna measure how much change we can do slowly Mm. Should we be shutting yeah. people down or should we be drip feeding? You know, I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't subscribe to cancel culture. Like I think for me, I think it reminds me of bullying. I think it's not mm. productive. I think it's actually pretty destructive. Um, and I feel like, I think there is... You know, I mean, I think this is a hard one, right? Because I, I think they're just like these larger kind of like sort of like political forces. You know, if we put this mm. in a context of like a very well-funded anti-gender movement that's seeking to silence and erase trans people that are interested in taking away the, taking away the rights of women, um, that are pushing back and trying to disenfranchise like LGB, LGB people, even though mm. you have, you know, LGB conservatives who are trans exclusive. Um, you know, I just think like people really don't listen to each other. And I think because social media really encourages sort of like this platforming, um, people really don't listen to each other. I think people talk past each other, which I mm. think also contributes to cancel culture. Um, because for me, yeah. it's, you know, I don't live my life on social media, right? Like if, you know, I know you, Allie, right? So if we, you know, we don't know each other that well, but the thing is, is like, if I have an issue with you, I'm not going to talk about you on social media. That's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I know, know, we're going to go on a podcast and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, I, I'm, I am so conscious of the time. Like, I don't know whether you can run over by five minutes. Yeah, 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 I, I got just... five minutes for you. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. So, really, I just, there's there's one really juicy question. Yes, I, yes, that, juicy, like, yes. But thinking about, okay, so... I think we're going to invite Cypher back because there is so much to this and I think it's fascinating and it's actually brings me on to my next point. So Cypher and I were exchanging voice notes the other day and we had like a chuckle to ourselves. Um, as the um, advocate within the MRKH community, I was asking the question. I was asking the question. <laughs> You've got to look. It's kind of <laughs> cool. It's kind of cool. It's kind of scary. Is it, whose role is it to know stuff? So for me, I always think if I get a comment or a question that I find a little bit, um, maybe, I don't know if I think it's insensitive. I don't know whether it's people just genuinely want to know or mm. whether people are just trying to make it easier on them, easier on me. But I always think any question for me is an opportunity to like educate. I'm not saying that 
you're not educated. But I also think it's quite interesting mm. how you say we kind of have to do it differently. Like maybe education isn't from the advocate out or is it from mm. society in? Mm. Or have I completely miss? Have I misread mm. our voice notes? Because they were funny. I did. <laughs> like, I was like, let's save this for the podcast. Yeah. Well, I think it's just like, <clears throat> you know, I really wanted to come on this podcast because, you know, I feel like we, I feel like there needs to be more overlap and more dialogue and more conversation mm. between the ad- advocate community and the ad- activist community. And I think at times there has been outright has- hostility or indifference, you know. I'm not and, in, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> so you know. There has been, there's been a lot of adversity about the word intersex within the MRKH community. Yeah, totally. Right. And so the thing is, like, for me, I think since I've been in England, I'm not concerned whether people use intersex or not to describe themselves. That's not important to me. I think what's more important to me is like, what, what are we doing to sort of challenge medicalization or force medicalization? That for me is a bigger issue. Um, and so, you know, I feel like just from the limited dialogues that I've had with people in the advocate community, I think we're, we're definitely, I feel like a lot of our curriculums overlap. There may be places where they diverge, but there's a lot of overlap. And I'm really curious about the ways that we can sort of be in dialogue, that we can collaborate, yeah. you know, that we can share resources because I think often, you know, and I don't think it's a coincidence that we've, that our issues have been pitted against each other. Right. Um, and for me, I right. just feels like, okay. you know, I feel like that's, that's just not helpful, you know? I really do. And I've been in, I've been as an advocacy for 12 years. Um, and I've heard various, various comments, various, I'm not this. Oh, but I identified it. Well, you can't identify as that. You got XX, but I, but it, the doctor said, medical said, chromosome said. So I think in a world of confusion and also, dare I say, association with not understanding terminology and understanding intersex and developmental everything. I think you're right. We need to speak amongst each other. Um, to really, I think, just, I'm not even trying to simplify it, but somewhere along the line, some shit's gone down. <laughs> and yeah. I think, you know, and you're nodding, and I think so too, because I think we can't say we let's pride ourselves on uniqueness when we're unwilling, though. I'll be unique as long as I won't necessarily be that unique that's sort of kind of just over there in that corner. Right. We need to have the conversations together to really strengthen this stigma. Totally. Shaking. I oh, know look, at you. look at you. Look at you. Look at you. Coming back to the, bit of you know. <laughs> circling. I'm full circle. Uh, yeah. Circling back. Cypher, I'm, I, I mean, there is so much, so much that we could have spoken about, but I mean, everything you were saying was, is, is gold and your experience, your articulation, the, you know, the hard stuff, the shit shows, the repurposing the pain, the, discovering your voice for standing up and saying difference is normal because that's my thing like difference is normal the only thing oh. that normal in this world is difference yeah. like once we wrap our heads around that society we could potentially be less unhappy and coexist a bit more calm 
Now, this podcast is all about shaking up and breaking up stigmas into digestible chunks for others to understand and absorb. So we like to call it our social smoothie. With that metaphor in mind, Cypher, what would be your social smoothie ingredient? So, you know, at first I thought it was actually like actual ingredients for a smoothie and it got really excited. <laughs> I was like, yes. Um, but, you know, man, I feel like, you know, with any smoothie, you need like a base. So you need like a liquid and you need some good fruits, like some bananas, some kale, some apple. Then you need some this, some that. So I feel like, you know, like a sm social smoothie is like. I think for me, what's important is like accountability, transparency, um, listening, grace, um, integrity, and, you know, I think the ability to repair, um, because, you know, I think conflict is inevitable. Um, but what does repair look like? And I think my strongest relationships are built on repair. That's one tasty smoothie. Mm, That's one yes. good nourishing for the mental health smoothie. Does it have a name? Ooh. <laughs> Let me see. Hmm. Mm. I don't, man. I guess, I don't know. Let's call it the Cypher Smoothie. <laughs> Oh, let's just stay on point. Don't you let's know? Not we don't yeah. need more complexity in our lives. Let's yeah, just keep it simple. Just, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll definitely suck on a cipher smoothie. Something I didn't think I'd say today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. <laughs> well, how can people find you, Cipher? How can people follow your wonderful work? Yeah. Um. I, you know, I know the young people be on TikTok and I do have a, an account there, but I don't really post there that often. Um, so don't try to find me there. But, um, Cypher emerges, um, on TikTok and Instagram. Um, people can also hit me up on SeanCypher.com. Um, and yeah, those are the places where I am mostly. Um, and you might Perfect. catch me doing interviews and whatever in these internet streets, you know? Oh, yeah. You're incredibly, inc so proactive. So, you know, I don't know how, you, I don't know how you do it all and, and be a scholar, but I'll put um, the wonderful Cypher's contact details in our show notes and Cypher again, congratulations on the film that's being released tomorrow and for being so brave and open and honest with your story. And I'm just so pleased that you exist in this world. You make oh. it a better place. That's so sweet. Thank you so much, Allie. And thank you so much for having the show and a wonderful conversation. And like, I totally agree with you. We can chat for hours. Meow, meow, meow. Um, but yeah, just, you know, it's an ongoing conversation. So yeah, 